Oh, well, how's everybody doing? Good? Well, as you know, we, uh, we are celebrating Christmas here this year, probably making up a little bit for the, the last year's sort of, uh, I don't know if restricted is the way to say it, but it was just a little um, anticlimactic because of COVID and everything. So this year, we went all out. We're, we're celebrating it every Sunday with something special, some special music. Or uh, This morning was actually a little bit double. We have special food out there. So for those of you who like Christmassy food and all that stuff, don't just leave after church. Go clean that out. Otherwise, it goes in the church fridge during the week, and who cleans it out? So you'll be doing me a favor by eating all those cookies and everything else. But this morning, we have a quartet, singing quartet, called Mixed Company mixed company and uh they part of the the history of their name comes is because they're all so different so so different and yet it is their differences when they blend together that make them sound uh just amazing and so they're an acapella quartet so they don't need a lot of amplification and thankfully we have a nice small auditorium here where you won't have to strain but if we could get a give a life point welcome to Mixed Company. These are good friends of Joy Wrights, our worship leader. And uh, come on up. Need to say anything, this mic works. Otherwise, they practice with their own mics, with the other ones. Okay, they're good. Shows you what I know. It's always better when everybody else knows more in the church than the pastor does. So we will... We will just put this back so that Kathy can sing at the end. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, yeah, we are very different. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> we are very different. And um, um, our, our first song is, is going to be a, a children's song, one that children learn to play on the piano. It's one of their first songs. And, and it, it's, it's very uplifting. In fact, the elves at the North Pole, they get kind of down this time of year, and they, they use it to help them lift their spirits, you know, whenever they have low elf esteem. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house not a creature was stirring not even a mouse the stockings were hung by the chimney with care in the hope that St. Nicholas soon would be there he's bringing lots of toys for girls and boys and wait until you see that Merry Christmas tree so on Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner, and Blitzen, to the top of the roof, to the top of the wall. He's coming to wish Merry Christmas to So there's an international chess tournament, and um, you know, championship players from all over the world come to this hotel, and, and before the tournament, there's an open foyer, and they all <coughs> start boasting about their, their abilities. You know, I, I made checkmate in six moves or whatever. 
And that, this went on for a while, and then the manager came in and said, hey, all of you out of here. I said, what's the matter? Well, you're just a bunch of chestnuts roasting, <laughs> chestnuts boasting on an open foyer. <laughs> <laughs> I blew it. Okay. <laughs> we lost our lead. None of this was planned. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, Yuletide carols being sung by a choir, and folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe. Help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. I know that Santa's on his, on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is gonna spy to see if song speaks to the heart, it speaks to my heart, and um, um, it, it's about how to sustain that Christmas, um, that Christmas spirit called the secret of Christmas. May your days be
sound when sleigh bells ring. When sleigh bells ring for the merry song, children sing. The little gift you send on Christmas Day. things you do all year through. May your days be merry and bright. And may We are mixed company. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the service. <laughs> Who needs instruments? Why did I take so long to learn the guitar? Man. <laughs> Alan. Which one is Alan? Andy. This is for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And they make it look so easy. They make it look so easy. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And uh, we are going to be talking today about joy. If you remember the first week of the Christmas calendar, traditional Christian Christmas calendar, we talked about, uh, remember, anybody remember? Starts with an H, ends with an E, hope. Ow. <laughs> a long time since I've lit the light. And then last week we talked about peace. I used to have a friend in college, and he would always greet you like that, peace. <laughs> we always thought he was like on drugs or something, you know, but he was not. He was like the strongest Christian to ever meet. He was clean, but you know, peace, you know, <laughs> we just could not take him seriously. <laughs> and then today we are talking about joy. Father God, there's so many 
different ways throughout Scripture, Lord Jesus, that you have brought us joy. And Lord, I think of that Scripture in Isaiah, that we will be brought forth in joy and let out in peace. So God, I pray through the mysterious presence of your Spirit that we would just kind of open a little door here in our hearts and just receive joy, whether more joy or, or arouse within us the joy that is there through the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. There was uh, a conference in a church back in, oh, not, oh, okay, <laughs> well, the slides will be coming momentarily, so, but I have a story for you to begin with anyway, so it'll be okay. Uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, they were having a conference. Us Christians, we love to have conferences, uh, an excuse to, you know, get all together and everything. And the church wanted to make a really, truly dramatic point. And that point sort of drastically backfired against them. In trying to show the joy of the Christian life, when everybody came into the conference, they were given a helium balloon. I love helium balloons. I don't know why. I just, you know, I sit there and I use them as punching bags, you know, and I just love helium balloons. So this would have been a conference that I would have gone just for the balloon. And uh, so they're all in there with the balloons, and they received some very simple instructions that at whatever point of the service, they felt like they, they had experienced God's joy or would like to just express the joy of the Spirit, they were to release their balloon, and then at the end of the service, the ceiling would be filled with all of these different balloons. So all through the service, you can kind of see, for me, it would be a complete distraction, you know, listening to the guy, oh, there goes another balloon, <laughs> you know, oh, there goes another balloon, oh, there's another one, oh, the whole family released them, you know, I mean, it would have been a complete distraction, but they wanted to make a point, but their point really backfired on them, because when it was all over, although there were a lot of balloons that ascended, only one-third of the balloons had been released, now, thankfully, the local news didn't pick up that story. <laughs> Maybe some of the people were shy, but it forces us to ask the question, if the angels announce the good news of great joy at Christmas, then how come so many of Jesus' followers fail to experience it or to model it to the world? We're going to tackle that this morning, and we're going to go back to our scripture from last week, reread it real quickly, and then the follow-up scripture that tells us how the shepherds, who were the first ones to be announced this good news of great joy, how they were able to maintain it. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 through 12, says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So, you know, you, sometimes we pray for an angel. Be careful what you pray for, because it could freak you out. Freak them out. And uh, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And notice how Luke constructs this sentence. 
do not be afraid, for I have brought news of joy, right? Fear and joy, they're like opposites, right? When we get afraid, I can tell you this right now, the joy is sucked right out of the room, right? When we react in fear, we don't have, so part of how God begins to work in us is to pour his joy where we have fear, right? Now, it was a natural fear, an angel shows up, they're freaking out, sure, but the angel used that as a way to teach them. You're scared now. You're freaking out now. You live in a freaked out world. But there is a being, my son, who's coming. And he will bring good news of great joy. Part of the foundation of overcoming all fear is recognizing and experiencing the joy of the Lord. And we're going to talk about that a little more. The angel kind of clarifies what this joy is going to entail. He says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What is the angel saying? God is fulfilling a prophecy. God said a rescuer would come. God said a Messiah would come. God said that he was coming, and now he has come. That is the good news of great joy. You may be like, I, I don't get God fulfilling his promises is good news of great joy. Because if he feel, fulfills his promise to humanity by sending Jesus, the promises that he has promised us, he will fulfill as well. The foundation of all joy is God acting and moving according to his word. So that's what we re- talked about last week. Uh, you know, the angel says, this will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now we're going to skip four verses, and we're going to go to Luke 2.16. And beginning in verse 16, uh, Luke writes, So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger. So the angel was not lying. The angel was telling the truth. They scurried off, they find Mary, they find Joseph, and what do you know? The angel gave details. There is a baby lying in a manger wrapped in cloth. That would have been an odd thing. But God confirmed that odd thing. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they proclaimed the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. What I love about this story is the shepherds show us how to handle the afters in life, right? It's the after is what you do after you have a cool experience with God or after You have a high moment of praise. Or after you pray a prayer and you really feel some great peace. What comes in the after moments? Because unless you die right after it happens, there's going to be an after moment. It's like being a kid at Christmas. Christmas morning is wonderful. There's there's treats, presents, all that stuff. The worst part about Christmas morning is the next morning right there's almost like a kind of a 
a, a depressive fall off, you know, the, the, the wonder and the glory and the fun of the day is followed by the fact that you got to go back to work and you got to go back to school. Life is waiting for you at the other end of Christmas. And it's easy to have joy for a day, but how do we make that joy last? Well, the shepherds, to some degree, they show us. First of all, they returned. Luke is very clear to say they returned. They did not stay with Joseph and Mary. They did not stay to speak. They didn't become personal shepherds to them or personal armor bearers. They returned back to the fields with which they came. <clears throat> they didn't stay with Mary and Joseph from that day onward. Their circumstances in life hadn't changed, but they had changed. They were still shepherds. They were still dirty, stinky. They were still outcasts. They weren't really allowed in polite society. Whoever their master was who employed them, brought them food or things of that nature. They were still shepherds. But those negatives no longer stole their joy. How many of you, if you are really honest, you have a negative right now, and it's stealing your joy? Now, some of your negatives you can do something about. There's nothing wrong with doing something about a negative. But there's some negatives you can't do anything about, and it bums you out to this day. If you would have seen me growing up, I loved sports. I loved competing, particularly loved football. I played it from third grade to tenth. Uh, I would have, if I could have, have played in high school and college. But the fact of the matter is, I am five foot six inches tall. And for me to have tried to achieve that kind of dream, I'm not Rudy, all right? I would have been creamed and crucified. I'm glad I made it out of football with just a few broken wrists, you know? I understand, you know? I, I, I had to, at some day, I, had, I got really bummed out, but I realized I can't play this anymore. All of my friends are growing. They're six foot five. They weigh 250 pounds. And here I am, you know, a little runt. And that used to bring me great sorrow. Because in my heart, there's a heart of a warrior. But my body, given by God, couldn't match up to what I wanted to do. And it was soon after I began walking with Jesus that I began to realize, you know what? Five foot six and all, God can still use me. And the negative no longer stole my joy. Same with these shepherds. We're dirty, we're stinky, we're smelly, but we're the first ones to tell everybody there's a Savior on the planet, and Jesus is his name. It wasn't some great, rich king like Herod. It was a lowly shepherd out in the field in Bethlehem. So I ask you, what earthly negative continues to steal your joy? In fact, sometimes I think often our problem is we get so used to God being in our lives that God can be as interesting as gravel, you know? Oh, God this, God that, God that, that, I mean, we just, we, we can almost lose the wonder and amazement that God wants us to have just in him. This is why in Psalm 51, David writes an incredibly important line, one of probably one of the top lines in the entire Bible. David is, is 
confessing his sin. He, he slept with a woman that wasn't his wife, conceived a child. He's gone through, he's, he's blown it and blown it big, and now everybody knows it. So he's asking God, create in me a clean heart. Don't take your spirit from him. He's crying out to God, I want to be cleansed. I still need you in my life. And he finishes that little line by saying, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Sometimes our walk with God can be like walking on gravel. We're just used to it. And I think all of us this morning, in fact, close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, restore the joy of my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. That's one way how joy is sustained. We return to the after. We return to life. And then we ask God to keep restoring. So the first thing is they returned. The second thing is they proclaimed. They talked about God. They made God a part of the Christmas conversation. What makes this story remarkable is God did choose poor, lowly shepherds to speak his word. Many of you probably do not feel qualified to bring God up in a conversation. In fact, you would feel like it's outright rude to try to do it. You'll say things like, oh, people will laugh at me. People will rock at me. People will reject me. I'm not anybody to be listened to. I don't really make a sound in society. People are going to think I'm on my self-righteous high horse. Or, Pastor, you don't know, I got a lot of sin in my life. If I start talking about Jesus, they're going to call me a hypocrite. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how talented you are. It's not about how perfect you are. It's about how perfect God is. I always tell people that. I always tell people that. I don't go to church because I'm perfect. I go to church because God is perfect. And I want to become more like him and less like me. Come with me. Long ago, in 1992... Before I'd really, I know, some of you are saying, when you say long ago, I'm thinking <laughs> 1942. <laughs> For me, long ago is 1992, okay? <laughs> Before I'd really accepted the Lord, um, God was just something that was never talked about in my world. I wouldn't say I hated him. We just never talked about God, you know? Did, we partied, we, we just lived life, I guess, but... We never talked about God. God really wasn't even talked about uh, in my family at length. But then there was this kid at school. We called him a dweeb, all right? I know, it's horrible. Uh, it's what stupid, hurtful teenagers do. But he was, he was tall, lanky, his ears curved out. We just called him the dweeb. It wasn't a good thing to do. It wasn't nice and holy, but that's what we called him. I remember one day he was kind of different. He was kind of quiet. We were on the basketball team together, and he wasn't, you know, he was the kind of kid who was always trying to impress people, always trying to get attention, always trying to get noticed, and that made him even more obnoxious. But now all of a sudden he was kind of quiet, and he hadn't said anything in a few days, anything too nerdy or geeky. So I, I just remember asking him, hey, dude, what's up? And he said, he said, oh, man, nothing, nothing really. I said, no, no, I mean, you're, usually we can't get you to shut up, and now you can't say a word. He said, well, you really want to know? I said, wouldn't have asked. He said, well, I'm just processing that there really is a God. I went to my youth church, 
and some things happen there, and, and, and there really is a God. Of course, they said, oh, good for you. Let's change the subject. Because <laughs> that's what all people who are running from God, that's their reaction. You think it's you. You think, you know, oh, I must have just went into a territory they don't want to think about. Uh, uh, uh. It's a defense mechanism, and I was the best at it before I'd really given my life to the Lord. But that sentence stuck with me. I went to youth church, and wow, God is really real. Nobody ever talked about God before. I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. Finally said, you know what? I'm going to go to that youth church. i got to see what he's talking about. I went, and God filled that Mack truck-sized hole in my heart. And here I am today. Here I am today because God used a dweeb to reach me. If God can use a dweeb like him, he can use you. Amen? They returned, they proclaimed the word, and finally, they praised. They praised. Why do you think we spend so much time in praise and worship? I know half of you aren't even all that into music. We do this. Part and part as because the shepherds did this. When we come into God's house, when we come into God's presence, we praise. Why? Because praise is the power behind joy. It's very hard to have fear and joy coexist at the same time. As we begin the praise, the joy comes in and begins to cast out all of the fear. Because we are once again reminded there's a God that loves us, a God that forgives us, a God that is there even in our darkest nights. He is worthy to be praised. Now, people have pursued joy in a lot of different ways. <coughs> some have successfully found it, some others have. Here's a few examples of maybe where we pursue joy and we don't find it. And the first one is this, an unbelief. I know a lot of people who think unbelief is going to be the answer to their problems. Voltaire, who was one of the leaders of the French Enlightenment, one of the founders of modern atheism, and one of the most famous atheists in history, on his deathbed wrote, I wish I had never been born. Does that sound like a man who had a lot of joy? No, no. Uh, how about this? Lord Byron was very, very famous for being kind of a King Solomon of our day. He had a lot of money, a lot of pleasures, uh, a lot of pleasures. We'll just leave it at that. And uh, he said at the end of his life, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine and mine alone. Does that sound very joyous? Not to me. Jay Gould, American billionaire, at the end of his life said, I suppose you could say, even with all my money, I am the most miserable man on earth. <laughs> what does a billionaire say they're the most miserable man on earth? That's what he said. Lord Beaconsfield in the 19th century had a lot of position and fame in Great Britain. He wrote the famous quote where it says, youth is a mistake, manhood is a struggle, and old age a regret. Finally, Alexander the Great, when he had conquered the known world, said, I am weeping in my tent for there are no more worlds to conquer. We're not going to find joy in all these things that the world runs to to find joy. We'll try. 
and fail, try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. And this morning the Holy Spirit says you don't have to fail anymore. You don't have to fail anymore. You don't have to have to try to find joy in all of these created things. But to find joy in the Creator. For He is still the good news of great joy. If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it over. And I just have four quick points on finding joy that lasts. And the first one is this. Joy begins with Jesus. Joy begins with Jesus. Let this sink in. If you've heard nothing else today, hear this. Jesus is a better Savior than you are a sinner. You can't out-sin the salvation of Jesus. You can try if you want, and you'll just end up in a depressing hole. But Jesus will always be a better Savior than you are a sinner. That's joy. Because of Jesus, the worst of anything can be redeemed. Think of your worsts. What are your worsts? The worst sin can be redeemed. The worst son or daughter can be redeemed. The worst situation can be redeemed. The worst suffering that you've ever gone through can be redeemed. And I know some of you have gone through some horrific things. So have I. They are the worst that humanity can do to one another. Jesus is the foundation of the joyful life that can come and arise out of those ashes. Why? Because God has more grace in his heart than we have sin in our lives. God has more grace in his heart than we have sin in our lives. That's the foundation of all joy. That the one who has the power to help you isn't holding your sin over you. Think about that for a moment. The only one in the universe who really has any power to help you is not holding your sin over you. We hold our sin over ourselves. Oh, well, God would never do anything for me because I think this way, or I do this way, or I struggle with this, or sometimes I'm critical, or sometimes da da da, da. We go through a whole essay on how God's not going to do anything for us. That is not from God. That is from the enemy, or that is from you. It's rooted in pride, and we got to get rid of it now. Because God does have more grace in his heart than we have sin in our lives, even the sin that we produce in our own wrong thinking. Joy begins with Jesus. And you are not at the mercy of life. You have a friend. You have a Savior. His name is Jesus. He also happens to be God. So when the angels came down and said, I bring you good news of great joy, that's the good news of great joy. Jesus is a far better Savior than we are as sinners. Amen? Number two, I said this a few years back, and it's a point that I need to bring back two years later. Remember last week, I said, I said this two years ago, and now I disagree with myself. I don't disagree with this one. Joy lives deeper than happy. If you're looking to be happy all the time, you're going to lose what joy really means. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is fickle. It goes up and it goes down. It goes up and it goes down. Joy can be affected by food, 
or drugs or external things. I'm sorry, not joy, happiness. With food, drugs, external things, and it can take you on just an emotional roller coaster. Joy lives deeper than happy. Joy does not arouse out of an, arise out of an easy day filled with fun-filled people. Joy is also not just the willful determination to put on a happy face. It is the uplift of our souls that comes when we remember God is real, He is with us, and He loves us. God is real, He is with us, and He loves you. And because of that, joy lives deeper than happy, far deeper than happy. Number three, joy is found in surrendering to the timing of God. Impatience is the great stealer of joy. And that's, that's just think about that for a moment. So many of us lose our battle of joy because we are impatient about something. Impatient about one or two things. We're either impatient because we want God to bring us out of the bad thing that's happening to us. Or impatient because he hasn't brought the good thing we want. Right? Think about that for a moment. Which one are you? Is there a bad thing you're in and you're impatient you want God to get you out of it? So until God gets you out of that bad thing, you are not going to have joy. And you're going to let the whole world know about it. You are not going to have joy until God does this. It's impatience. God's going to do it. Maybe not the way you want to. But if it's part of his word and part of his principles, he's going to do it. And when he does it, it'll be in his perfect timing. And then there's the thing, we want God to bring us this good thing and he hasn't yet. So until God brings me this good thing, I am not going to have joy. I am not, and I'm going to let the whole world know it. When God is saying, my son, my daughter, be at peace with my pace. I'm working in you. I'm moving in you. You can't always see it. But I'm asking you to trust it. And in time, the good thing you want, you may not even want anymore. You'll want a better thing. Or the bad thing that's happened won't even be so bad anymore. Because it's producing a strength, a, a, a perseverance, and character inside of you that you'd have never gotten otherwise. So what do we do? We surrender. Surrender to the timing of God. God will bring it. He will. Or God will take it away, the bad thing, when it's time. Trust Him in that. And in the midst of that trust, learn the joy of surrender. You don't have to fight God anymore. You don't have to fight God to get rid of the bad thing or bring the good thing. You don't have to fight him. He knows. He's not an idiot. He sees all things. And he knows exactly what and how to do and when to do it. And you'll look back and go, man, I could have spared my life 20 years of ministry if I'd have just trusted God through the process. Amen? And then finally, joy amplifies every pleasure. You know, it's interesting in church, we often speak against pleasure, right? Sinful pleasures. We, we, we kind of try to throw fire on pleasures or 
maybe not talk about pleasures or not, when all the while we got to remember, there is no pleasure we experience God didn't create for a purpose. And the joy of the Lord amplifies every, every pleasure. Some people live in so much gloom that it's hard for them to experience the pleasure that God has for them that day. Sometimes I'll have people come in the office. Oh, I'm just so horrible. I mean, they're just so depressed and it's, everything's so gloomy. And then they'll tell me one awesome thing that happened, one awesome thing that they experienced that God did. I'm like, that's great. I can be happy for them, but they can't experience the joy. Because they're not allowing the joy of the Lord to amplify that, yes, this is going on. It's horrible. But God did this and it's awesome. Come on. See, the beauty of joy is joy is where your pleasures don't control you. The problem with sinful pleasures is that they seek to control you. They seek to take over your life so that in a compulsory way, you're serving the pleasures rather than the God of the pleasures. Joy amplifies the pleasures of the Lord in a way where they don't control you, where you don't have to perform for them, where you can be with them wholly in the moment. I had this experience the other day at the Wednesday night Bible study. You go, what? How did you experience pleasure at the Bible study? First of all, Janita's enchiladas were awesome. All right, I'm just going to say it. They were awesome. All right. Tim and Cheryl's cauliflower rice, I thought was going to be awful. It was awesome, all right? I'll never eat regular rice again. Uh, you know, so there's some pleasures that were amplified already. But that isn't the one that stuck with me. There was a moment where we were all sitting around talking about Scripture, talking about God, talking about Jesus, and we all started laughing. And in that moment, I was looking around some friends I've known for over a decade of my life and some I've just met in the last year. And I had just this well of joy well up inside me to the point where I was starting to tear up. Of course, I'm telling everybody I have allergies, but the fact of the matter is I'm, start, I'm starting to tear up. Why? Because God amplified the joy of the pleasure of being around my brothers and sisters in Christ, talking about God, laughing, laughing and hugging and just being there together. It was a joyful pleasure that God amplified. And I, I invite you all, this isn't a plug for Wednesday, but I invite you all to come out and experience that, to sit back for a moment and just feel the joy of being in the presence of Jesus because where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there among them. A third century man was anticipating death, and he penned these final words to a friend. He said, friend, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad, bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people and they have learned a great secret. They have found a joy that is a thousand times better than any pleasure in life. They are despised and persecuted, but they don't seem to care. 
They are masters of their souls in ways I have never seen in anybody else. They have overcome the world. These people are the ones we call the Christians, and I have become one of them. Before we close today, what's stealing your joy? I can tell you who. It's the enemy. But what circumstance, what pressure, what thought, what deception, what attack, what grievance or grieving or suffering is stealing that? I want to encourage you this morning, right now in the quietness of your own heart, to just release that to God. Release it. Say, you know what, God? This is bumming me out. This is holding me back from what you've called me to. I release it to you. I release it to the Holy Spirit. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would fill me with a new and enduring joy. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I declare that the joy of the Lord will be my strength. Thank you for forgiving me. I make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and fill me with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.